You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. I'll go ahead and grab a seat. Man, if, if that didn't get you uh, awake for the Lord, then you need to check something, right? <laughs> like, man, so good. Grateful to our team. Hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of 1 John is where we're going to be this morning. 1 John, looking forward to, to studying there with you again. We're going to be in chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 12 in a minute. And as you're turning there, I want to let you know about two resources we have that came in this week. Um, been asked a few questions about what would be some good resources to help you uh, study 1 John, or even just sometimes after a message, maybe you want to dig into something a little deeper. And two uh, books I found helpful. Uh, one is by John, the late John Stott, and it's the Tyndale New Testament Commentary. And then also uh, by Danny Aiken, Christ-Centered Exposition. We've got these back in the back. They're $10. I'm pretty sure you cannot get them for $10, even on Amazon, which is pretty crazy. And uh, great resources. If you had to ask, um, if you wanted to ask, I think this is the Christ-centered exposition is probably a little easier to track with. And John Stott, great. I've actually, this has been really helpful in preparing messages through First John. But John Stott, he gets a little uh, maybe deeper in some of the weeds. and Well, they're good weeds, in the flowers <laughs> than, than Danny Aiken does in Christ-centered exposition. But again, those resources are back in the back. And we'd love to let you just come back and look at them if you want to check them out. I remember uh, in high school, uh, senior year, I was on our yearbook team, and me and a buddy uh, were tasked towards the end of the year, I guess it'd be the spring, um, with going and getting pictures of the golf team to be able to use in the yearbook. And so, uh, well, I'll just tell you, my buddy, I'm trying to hide his name. It was Richard. Some of you remember Richard. And um, so already like, uh-oh, this is a good, this is a good one. And so we uh, went out and we get in the golf cart, right? And we're going to the different holes as guys are teeing off and, uh, and girls and to watch them play golf and get some good pictures. And uh, Richard thought it would be funny to go, uh, to go up to where they were teeing off and we'd be sitting there, how's it going? I'll do a great job. We're just going to get some pictures. And he would wait till right when they were in their backswing and then he'd put the golf cart in reverse. <laughs> right? So over and over again, they would, they would, I'm terrible at golf, Jeremy, don't judge me, but like uh, they would get in their back of their swing right in there fixing to drop that club. He'd, and every time they would swing and then turn around and look at us like, oh. And Richard would go, oh, oh, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry, man. Sure enough, we'd go to the next hole and he'd do the exact same thing, right? <laughs> like, which I thought was awesome, but he was probably gonna get beat up if he wasn't careful. Um, what was funny is he, he was interrupting them, right? As, as humans, we don't like to be interrupted, especially when you're right in that critical moment. We don't always love being interrupted. However, sometimes being interrupted can be a good thing. Like maybe you're in a, in a meeting, a staff meeting, and uh, someone says something that doesn't sit well, and maybe the, the meeting continues, but then that person stops the meeting, interrupts the meeting, and kind of circles back to what they had said, and they explain, hey, I want to clarify what I meant by that. That didn't sit right. That interruption can be a good thing. Maybe um, you're having a, a really hard workout, and then uh, your, your coach, whoever's leading the workout, tells you to stop, and you're thankful for the interruption, right? Or if you're playing basketball and, or even, gosh, watch our Red Raiders, right? And they, they call a timeout and the interruption can be good, especially if they're down and needing to fight back. The interruption can be good to, to regroup, to refresh, to remember what you need to be about. Sometimes when you, I don't know about you guys, but I can get in my head. Actually, I know all of us can. You can kind of get in your head. No one talks to you more than you, right? That's just a reality of how, how we're made. 
And sometimes when somebody can kind of interrupt you and say, hey, like, are, are you good? You okay? Like, shake off whatever's going on there. That interruption can be really helpful. What I love about today's text in 1 John 2, 12 through 14, it's almost as if John calls time out on what he's been talking about and says, hey, let me remind you of who you are in Christ. So I don't think this is just random, that this is accidental. I think John is intentionally, he's been looking at what it, what it really is to be a Christ follower, that if you really know Christ, this is how your life will look. But as he's doing that, and, and as believers, we begin to wrestle with that, he kind of says, time out. If you are a believer, don't forget this is who you are in Christ. Let me, let me remind you, let me refresh you, let me call attention, let me encourage you, this is who you are in Christ. Take heart. This is who you are. Right? You're going to see in a second as we read through it that these encouragements he's, he gives, they're for every single believer. Like all that he, he gives here, they're true of every believer. So if you know Jesus, not just if you've been baptized, if you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ, then these things that we're going to read in the text, th- these are true of you. You will see though, as we begin to read, he, he speaks of, children and young men and fathers. So first thing I want to clarify, he's using uh, really kind of the the context or the construction of that time um, in language of how they address people. So they could use them, they use the masculine to address a group of people. So when he says fathers, he's not literally talking only to men. He's speaking to men and women, kind of like uh, in First in John, or really almost all the epistles, he'll begin with Adelphoi saying brothers, but that, can be, that means brothers or sisters. He's addressing the group. So ladies in the room, don't think he's counting you out this morning or it's not talking to you just because he says young men or fathers, you are included in this as well. That said, Pastor David and I really are of the same mind that as you walk through the text, he talks about little children and fathers and young men this is really more of an emphasis on your spiritual maturity, right? All of us as, as believers, we, we should be growing. So you start off and you come to Christ as a child and you move into, you could say, young adulthood and eventually become a, a grown-up, right? A mature person in the Lord. So I want you to think this morning, not just specifically of ages, but, but of spiritual maturity. Now, granted, as the older we grow, if we've been walking with Christ, the older we get, the more mature we should be in Christ, right? That makes sense, right? If, if you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years, but you've not matured since you were a child, something is wrong. So the likelihood is that there is a parallel, even a little bit, between maybe your age and your spiritual maturity. That said, again, all of these should encourage every single one of us, but I wanna challenge you this morning, maybe encourage you is a better word, that as we cover the group that maybe you best fit in in this current season of life, I might encourage you maybe to sit up a little straighter or lean in a little bit more to hear the encouragement that John has for you because it's intentional, it's not just random. Y'all with me? All right, let me pray for us and we're gonna dig in. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the chance to, to worship. And God, thank you that you care about us enough to interrupt our lives on a Sunday morning at 10.06 and remind us who we are in you, to encourage us, to refresh us and set our eyes 
back to our true identity in you. Lord, I pray that hearts would be lifted this morning, that believers would be challenged and encouraged. God, that those that don't know you would see the glorious identity and hope that awaits them if they will simply turn to you for salvation. God, we love you and look forward to what you're gonna do in our brief time together. So you know me pray, Jesus, amen. If you would, join in verse 12 with me. He says, I am writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I've written to you, children, because you have come to know the father. I've written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. We're gonna first look at the children he addresses, those younger in the faith, and here's the first thing we're gonna see. Believer, take heart. Your sins are forgiven because of Jesus. He says, I'm writing to you since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. If you, where it says have been, this is in the perfect tense. So it's an action, it's an event that occurred, but has continuing results. Why does that matter? So your sins, if you have trusted Christ, they have been forgiven. And it's not just that they, they are forgiven and, and now you're gonna sin again and now there's more trouble. No, they have been forgiven and they continue to be forgiven. So this has happened in the past, but the, but the effects, the results are continuing on and on and on. Why is that important? Because it means that God doesn't wake up one day and go, you know what? Caitlin, you just, you just sin too much today. I draw the line in the sand. No, your sins have been and continue to be forgiven. They're, they're gone. They're, they're done away with. You can roll that load off of yourself because it's been rolled on to Jesus Christ on the cross. They're, they're gone. They're, they're done away with. And, and notice the, the emphasis here. It's on account of his name. So this is real simple, but it's just looking at the text. How... Have your sins been forgiven? It's not that God gets a scale out and says, well, you know, Raymond, like pretty good here, pretty bad there, but good this way. So, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna tip it this way. No, it's not based on you and what you have done or haven't done. It's based on who? This is easy. It's on Jesus. Yes, it's on account of his name, his perfect life, his death on your behalf and his resurrection, your Forgiveness of sins is bound up, is wound up, connected to, tied on, bound to the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's done. It's, it's over. If you're in Christ, you are forgiven. Take heart. Your sins are forgiven because of Jesus. Now, why, why is it, again, that's true for all believers, but why is that significant for, for those maybe younger in their faith? I think probably a couple reasons. Keyword think, I'm not pointing to the text here, but just like thinking about the Christian life and what John's doing here. As we walk with Jesus, we're prone to what Paul David Tripp calls gospel amnesia. We forget the gospel sometimes, don't we? 
You get saved, you're excited, you're thankful for the blood that we just sang about. But then often as, as we, we kind of move away from that experience, that, that moment that it happened, we like the, the people in Galatia that Paul wrote to, we begin to drift from the gospel. And the problem is you can't grow in Christ if you drift from the gospel. That's why Paul told the church in Galatia, who cut in on you? You started with the spirit. So you were saved by grace through faith. What makes you think you're going to grow on your own? Got kind of, you went to home, the spiritual home depot and got all these tools so you can grow yourself. No, you continue to grow by being rooted in Jesus Christ. So you start there, you grow there. Don't forget your sins are forgiven because of Jesus. He is your only hope. Amen. I, I think, I think another significant thing there is I found working uh, with students for a long time. So meaning like the opportunity gives me a lot, uh, opportunity to work with a lot of young Christians. I think people who are young in their faith, not just young people, but people who are young in their faith can also tend to get a little self-righteous and, and kind of legalistic. What I mean by that is you, you get saved and Man, you're excited about Jesus and so you've been walking with him for six or seven months and you, you've seen this change in your life where now you're reading the Bible and you're praying and you're sharing the gospel and you're like, why isn't every other Christian like me? And the reality is you, you haven't faced some of the seasons that other Christians have faced, right? If, you, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you know what I mean by that. There's gonna be valleys and mountaintops and hills and low points, canyons to, to go through. I think Paul's reminding those who are young in their faith, hey, look, don't, don't get self-righteous don't think you're all that. You're saved. Your sins are forgiven because of what Jesus has done. Not because of what you're trying to do. No, you're saved because of him. Take heart. Your sins are forgiven because of Jesus. That's a part of salvation, but it's even better than that. There's more than that. Look down at verse 14. He says, I've written to you children, again, addressing those younger in the faith, because you have come to know the Father. Here, here's our second reason why I need to take heart. Take heart because you know the Father. Really simple, right from the text. Take, take heart, you know the Father. You not just know about him, you have a relationship with the King of creation, the God of the universe, the Father of all. You have an intimate relationship with him. If you think about the context of 1 John, he's saying, look, you used to be a, a wandering child, wandering in the, in the darkness, but now you're, you walk in the light with your heavenly father. It means that he, he's your shepherd, your provider. Take heart, you know the father. What, why, why would that be significant? You know, I, I don't think I have to, like, you don't have to point to data, though the research does show this. Kids are literally, I don't mean like physically necessarily, but literally stunted in their growth as a human if their home is not a safe and secure place where they can know they're gonna be taken care of. Don't track them with that. Like when a child knows, not that their parents are perfect, no parents are perfect, but when a child knows they have parents who love them, provide for them, will love them unconditionally, when they know that, man, they're gonna flourish. When they don't know that, when they're wondering, man, my parents gonna be here for me? When I go home tonight, like, am I gonna have a home? When, when they're wondering that all the time, it, it can stunt their development as a human. I think the same is true for your walk as a believer. 
if you're always wondering, does, does, God, does God really love me? Is, is he gonna take care of me? Does, does God see my needs? You're gonna be stunted as a believer. But when you can rest in, man, I have a heavenly father, he knows my name. He knows what I'm struggling with before I, I'm even aware of it. I have a heavenly father who is gonna give me what I need, who's gonna forgive me even when I totally mess up and run into the ditch of sin and make a mess of myself. There's still love, there's still grace. So when you know you have a father, you, you begin to grow. So Paul, excuse me, not Paul, John's reminding us, take heart. You know the father. You have a father. You're not an orphan. You have been adopted into the family. See, this is what's so cool about adoption in our world is that you see a child go from maybe fatherless and feeling abandoned, left alone, but then brought into a family of love and care and protection and provision. And that child begins to flourish. Y'all, if you know Christ, that is you. You know the father. So we, we begin as a child and, and we begin to, to grow. We begin to mature in the Lord. I love what Pastor Ben Stewart says. He says that Jesus rescues us from, from captivity. We were bound in chains, excuse me, in chains, imprisoned in, in, in by the enemy. And Jesus sets us free, but he doesn't set us free just to sit around and do nothing. No, he calls us out of captivity and on our way out of the prison cell, he hands us a sword. <laughs> He says, time to go fight. Listen to what John says about the young men. Look at the end of verse 13, kind of the second part of verse 13. He says, I am writing to you, young men. Again, includes women too. Don't be confused there. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. Here's our third point. Take heart. You are not a victim because you have a victor. Take heart, you are not a victim because you have a victor. What's going on there? This is because you have conquered the evil one. If you're not familiar with the rest of 1 John and even the rest of scripture, you may be a little confused there. Like, is he saying that I literally, like you literally on your own have conquered the evil one? Certainly not, we don't have that power. But if you look over, uh, you can turn if you want to in 1 John chapter three, I love verse eight. He says, the one who commits sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Here's what I want to emphasize. The son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the devil's works. That's a new take on Christmas, right? Why did Jesus come? To destroy the devil, right? That's the truth though. It's not just, oh, cute little baby. No, he came to kill the devil, to bring a smackdown, right? says, that's what Jesus came to do. Then look over in chapter four, verse four. So he's been talking about the spirit of the Antichrist, which is really from Satan. And he says, but he says this of believers, verse four, you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because, so, so you have conquered because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So he doesn't say, you've conquered because you're so awesome. No, you've conquered the enemy. You've conquered the spirit of the Antichrist. You've conquered Satan, not because you're so awesome, but because the one who is in you is greater than him. Take heart, 
You're not a victim because you have a victor. I love what Revelation chapter um, 12, verse 11 says, that the saints, the people of God, have overcome Satan through the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. We overcome Satan because of Jesus Christ. Take heart, you're not a victim because you have a victor. You're no longer a slave, you are now a son. You're no longer a captive, you are now a conqueror because of your conquering king, Jesus Christ. He has overcome the enemy. Why is this significant? Man, I, I, I love this verse. Do you ever, as a believer, just feel like, man, this is just, this is, this is tough. Like, it's hard following Jesus. It, it's a struggle. I, I want, like Paul says in Romans 7, I want to do the right thing, but I don't do the right thing. And the thing I, I want to do, end up not doing. And that, that I don't want to do, I end up doing because I'm a mess. It, it can be, it is tough to follow Jesus. It's tough. You know what this verse is reminding us as we begin to walk with the Lord and saying, it feels like a battle because it is. Jesus doesn't save you and then bring you into the six flags of Christianity, right? Just come on in and get some cotton candy and ride some roller coasters. Like, no, it's a battle. It's a war. But he says, take heart. You're not a victim because you have a victor. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Keep your head up. And John doesn't leave it there. He gives us a little more encouragement related to this battle. Skip down to verse, the end of verse 14. He says, again, addressing those who've been walking with Jesus for a little while. He says, I've written to you young men because you are strong. God's word remains in you and you have conquered the evil one. So again, he's pointing out, you've overcome. You've conquered the evil one because of Christ. But he says, you're strong and God's word remains in you. Here's our fourth point. Take heart. You are made ready for war by the word. You're made ready for war by the word. He says, you're strong. How are you strong? Because God's word remains in you. And he says God's word there, uh, kind of a double uh, maybe layered meaning there. So I think more specifically, he, he's speaking to the gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that you on your own are a wretch cut off from God, no hope of salvation, but Jesus came live the perfect life, died the death that you deserve and rose again. If you'll turn to him, you can have a relationship with him and know the forgiveness and peace and love and grace and purpose of God. It says that, that gospel, the good news of Jesus remains in you, but we also know where do we find the gospel? Where do we read of the gospel? In God's word, right? And then we begin to meditate and chew on God's word and it, and it becomes a part of our lives the longer we walk with Jesus. So he says, look, you're strong because God's word is in you. You're not strong on your own because you're wise and you have life figured out. <laughs> Isn't it funny? A lot of, one of the most dangerous times of life is, is like that, this 18 to 40 stage where you think you just know everything. Like I'm in that stage, so I'm making fun of myself, right? Like got life figured out, really wise, really smart. And your parents are just like, yeah, mm -hmm, sure, yeah. <laughs> no, you're not strong because you've got life figured out. You're strong because God's word is in you. That's what makes you strong. 
overcome the evil one. It's again, reminding us is in this battle, in, in this fight, how you wage war, how you get strong is right here. I love what Danny Aiken, again, it's in that commentary uh, I pointed out, Christ-centered exposition, he points out that, so looking at these, these two verses about the young men, that you've conquered the evil one, which points us to the conquering work of Jesus, and then the word of God remaining in you, he points out that Satan normally likes to attack us in one of two ways. He condemns us on one hand, tells us we're not worthy of God's love, we're failures, and on the other hand, he tempts us into sin. And what's going on here in the text is, when Satan condemns us, we point to Jesus Christ, amen? Hey, disagree. You're right, Satan, I'm not worthy of God. Praise be to Jesus that he came and rescued me. So we fight off Satan that way, and then when he tempts us, Psalm 119 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word, right? So Satan, throw a left, throw a right. Either way, I got you, bro, right? I look to Jesus and I cling to the word. You're made ready for war by the word. Now, why is this, things should already be obvious, so many things, but why is this significant for, for those who've been walking with, their, walking with the Lord for a little bit, but still kind of young in their faith? I think Satan, one of his most successful strategies is to make you feel weak and hopeless. You ever feel that way? I feel that way sometimes. Like, man, just, Lord, am I even growing? Or am I just doing the same thing over and over again? And when you start thinking that way, you begin to give up. John's saying, hey, you're strong. Don't put your sword down. You're strong. You, you have a victor. Keep on fighting. Don't give up. You have hope because you have the greatest of hopes. You have Jesus Christ. So don't quit. Don't quit. It feels like war because it is. Don't put down your sword. You know, if anyone would agree with that, would say, amen, yes, like God's word makes us strong. It would be those who've been walking with Jesus for a while. Hey, can I, I'm just gonna pause. If I could just like interrupt myself. Uh, this is not my nose, but I, I just feel led to say this. Lauren and I, my wife, or, oh, she's in there somewhere. We were talking earlier. There she is. Back row Baptist, I see you. <laughs> We were talking earlier this week. It was like, it was, we were just encouraged by it. She pointed out actually, because she's more spiritual than I am, true. But um, man, one of the beautiful things of being at a church for almost 12 years is, is you get to see people grow in the Lord. And we're not just hopping around. We get, to, we get to see the fruit of what God does. And we were blown away this week thinking about, if I'm just honest, maybe students that we served with back in the day in middle school who if we were to be honest, you're like, people really talk like this? I'm just being honest here. That we would, back in the day would have said, man, I don't know if that kid's gonna ever like get it. I don't know if that student is gonna grow up to walk with Jesus. Like, man, they got trouble written all over them, that kind of thing. And man, the number of students that, not that we had written off, but we had just been like, God, I don't know. Kind of like John Michael, Lord, you're gonna have to do this. I don't know how it's gonna happen. The number of students that as they've gotten older now, we look at and go, man, look what God's doing in their life. Look at that. Why do I bring that up? I think it's probably a lot of parents in the room that you're looking at your kids and you're going, oh man, like, <sighs> don't give up hope. I'm serious. Y'all tracking with me? Do not give up hope. Keep fighting. Don't buy the enemy's lie that it's over. No, you have a victor. You're not a victim. All right, interruption over. Okay, 
So what does he address to the old people? Oh, oh my gosh, did I just say that? I really, I'm not trying, yeah. The older, older people. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. Man, okay. Wow, okay. I meant to say the older people, not old people, sorry. Uh. <laughs> Can't recover from that one. Okay, let's just read the Bible. Verse 13, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. And then he says the same thing down in verse 14. He says the exact quote, I've written to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. So he's speaking to those who have walked with the Lord for a long time. So it's not just older people. It's those who've been walking with the Lord for a long time. He says, you know him who's from the beginning. You can say it this way. Take heart. You know the one who's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. When he says he's from the beginning, it makes me think of John 1, speaking of Jesus, that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, even in the beginning, when God created everything, because Jesus is God. It makes me think of Colossians 1, that all things were made through him and for him, because he is the firstborn of all creation. Everything submits to his leadership. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is God and that Jesus holds the universe together by the word of his power. He's the one who is from the beginning. So he's got the whole world in his hands. Why would that be significant to those who have walked with Jesus for a long time? For for older folks, those who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, they've seen a lot change in their lifetime. Amen? You watch the news and you think, what world, what planet is this? You've seen loved ones pass. You've seen your health deteriorate. You've seen maybe your mind not be as sharp as it used to be. John says, hey, lots changed, but there's one that hasn't. There's been one constant in your life through it all, and that's the one who's got the whole world in his hands. Everything else may fall apart, come to ruin, God stands secure as a rock. Isn't that encouraging? He's got the whole world in his hands. And how cool to know that the one who's got the whole world in his hands, he's the one who died for us. So it's not just that he's got the whole world in his hands and we're, that he's just kind of distant and doesn't care. No, he cares so much he came to die on the cross for you and me. What a great God we serve. Take heart. You know the one who's got the whole world in his hands. And by the way, those hands have nail scars in them because he loves you. Take heart. You know, uh, a lot of commentators, theologians, believe that 1 John is, is kind of this fireside chat with John. That it could be viewed not so much as he's preaching at you, but that John has invited you. You're sitting around the fire and you're, you're, you're having conversation about the Christian life and, and what it looks like. 
And it's almost as you're having this conversation, John interrupts himself and, and, and pulls you in and says, hey, let, let me remind you who you are. And, and he walks through these things. Reminds you of your identity in Christ. But do you notice with, with, with all of these, all of these points of identity, you could say, are strongly rooted to who Jesus is, right? So he doesn't just say, man, you're awesome. You're so cool. You're so gifted. No, everything he's pointing out is somehow related back to Jesus. And I think John's pulling us in and reminding us the best way to lift up your heart is to lift up your head. The best way to lift up your heart when you're discouraged and feel far from God and wondering who you are is not to search deep within the recesses of your soul. No, the best way to lift up your heart is to lift up your head. Remember who Jesus is. You know, one of the best ways to to celebrate who Jesus is and to remember who he is is the Lord's Supper, communion. We're gonna finish this morning by, with communion. And I wanna, uh, real quick, if you have not got the elements, if you would just raise your hand. We've got some, some gentlemen that would love to, to help get those to you real quick. Just hey, hold your hand up, don't be shy. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're, we're celebrating what Christ has done for us, who he is and what he's done. This doesn't save you. (laughs) No, it's a celebration of that salvation. Some people ask sometimes, how come we we only do it like every other month at Southcrest? Uh, There's not like a really strong exactly reason why, except for, we want it to be a special thing. Sometimes, I don't think for everybody, but sometimes when people take communion weekly, it can just be kind of this ritual you do. And and I think by spreading it out a little bit, Pastor David's heart, and I agree with him, is it kind of makes it a little bit more meaningful, not just something we do just to do, but a little more meaningful that we really are celebrating what Christ has done. We're, we're lifting up our heart by lifting up our head to remember who Jesus is. So there's nothing like special about this cracker or juice as much as, man, it's, it's a celebration that, that Christ's body was broken for us and his blood shed for us so we could have a relationship with him. And that amen, he's coming back again one day. We look forward to that day. So if, if you know Christ this morning, whether you are a member of South Christ or not, if you know Jesus, we invite you to celebrate this morning with the Lord's Supper. If you don't know Christ, we're gonna ask you to refrain, but the cool thing is the Lord's Supper is, is inclusive in that anyone can come to know Jesus. No matter where you're at this morning, you can turn to him for salvation. You can have the identity of what we just walked through in, in 1 John. That can be your story. So simply turn to Christ for salvation. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are God the Son, that you paid the price for my sins. Jesus, would you be the Lord of my life? I commit my life to you. Scripture says that when you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Not maybe, not could, you will be saved. As believers, as we celebrate this morning, Scripture calls us to examine ourselves. So maybe there's some sin in your life that you want to repent of, to confess to the Lord. Maybe God's just calling you to celebrate Yes, that you are forgiven, as the scripture says, on account of his name. I'm gonna give you just a moment, just a few seconds really, just to to talk with the Lord and 
there's some sin you need to confess, or maybe you just want to say, Jesus, thank you for the blood. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for being my father. Thank you that you're a victor. Because of that, I'm not a victim. Give me a moment to talk with the Lord, and then I'll lead us through the Lord's Supper. side of your cup. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance side. It says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus so grateful for your body being broken on our behalf so that our relationship with you would no longer be broken but could be mended we're grateful for your shed blood that flowed for us though we our sins were as dark and stained as crimson we know that your blood washes them white as snow day after day after day struggle after struggle sin after sin what keeps us in relationship with you what sustains us is your sacrifice your substitutionary atonement on our behalf God thank you for paying the penalty for our sin God that now we can walk as victors because of your victory no longer condemned but conquerors because you. God, may we grow in you into the mature believers you desire and long for us to be. May we grow by the gospel and through your spirit's work. So let me pray, Jesus. Amen. We're going to, this morning, close with a a new song, which is a little odd, I know, because it's it's hard to sing and respond to a song you don't know, but man, this song so perfectly fits with the text this morning. We thought, man, even if you can't, even if it's hard for you to sing along, just to make the words of this song your prayer. As always, uh, I'm going to go, our folks that are going to be down front this morning, if you would go ahead and uh, come on down front. I know everybody's still sitting, but that's okay. There are going to be folks down front that would love to pray with you. Maybe you just need some encouragement. You need someone to interrupt your thought life and just pray with you. They would love to do that. Or maybe you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, what that looks like. They would love talk to you about that as well. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org 
or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 